How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend, Frank Madden. And bringing you tonight's episode is our good friends at SeatGeek. Tonight's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek, and you can use our promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That is L-O-B-U-C-K-S for Locked on Bucks, and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase so use that promo code and get it out there and go get some tickets for something frank there was a press conference today there was a new general manager there was one owner in the seat next to the new general manager and yeah it's uh some exciting times we mentioned it uh last night and said that we would ask for some kind of questions thoughts um things you were curious about as we went through this and uh, a bunch of you came through so I think we're going to go through some of those but first uh, do you have some general thoughts that uh, you had just I, I guess from the initial press conference and then the uh, availability that they had with the media afterwards yeah I mean I think yesterday we we said that we predicted we might learn something but we probably will also not learn many things uh, about what John Horst will be like as a GM and, you know, what the future really holds for the Milwaukee Bucks. We we only really expected to see maybe a tiny, tiny glimpse or hint at that today at an introductory press conference for John Horst. And I'd say that was mostly the case. Um, I mean, you were there in person. You sound very tired. I feel like I feel like you sound like all of us feel about the Milwaukee Bucks GM search, <laughs> just kind of like, just get it over with, man. And, um, and, and we finally got to the point of a press conference today and, um, you know, John Horst met, met the world, met the media for the first time really. And, um, you could tell, I mean, I think he had sort of that like nervous energy, you know, excitement, uh, you know, it's obvious he hasn't certainly sat in front of a, a big crowd of media and, and TV cameras and done something like this before. Um, but you know, I mean, it was pretty vanilla for the most part. I think the, uh, there were a couple of cringeworthy moments. Um, and it wasn't really from John Horst. I think the one that blew up Twitter, um, and which I saw before I, uh, I had a chance to actually watch the video. You can go watch it at bucks.com. I think it's about a 25 minute presser. Um, the thing, Wes, so here's, so Wes Eden's actually had some comments that were actually totally normal and sane about like, you need a good, you need, need, you know, you you want a good process and structure in order to get good results. And he had some comments about that, but then another question was asked and was it, did you ask the question that, that, that led to the whole Philadelphia? 
I don't remember. I okay. asked a bunch of questions that had to do with process, so maybe, but uh, I don't know. Okay, maybe, maybe it was your fault, but but bottom line, and I'm sure many people <laughs> listening to us, if you listen to us, odds are you've, you've already seen it, um, but, but essentially he came out and said, unprompted, you know, people in Philly talk a lot about process, but, you know, I'm, I'm, about, I'm more about results, and, you know, and it was just like, oh, I mean, the, you know, and, and again, I, I don't know... I, it, this is one of these things that like there has been around the NBA and also within the Bucks organization. Like you talk to people, I mean, they're not, I don't think the Bucks are that different from other teams. Like there's long been like some arrogance towards the Sixers and, and you know, some condescension towards what the Sixers did over the past few years. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of moralizing views from people in the NBA about what the Sixers did and have done. And look, I can understand that to some extent. And, you know, I, whatever people are gonna have their opinions and you know blah 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 you know we're now at the point the freaking day after the the sixers take you know all these assets and they end up getting the first pick in this draft and you know again Embiid has not been healthy for more than 30 some games and ben simmons hasn't even played i know i know but with adding markel fultz sarich you know the two big names that, that they that they've gotten who, who have been hurt a lot and then all these other assets don't don't go picking fights with the with Sixers fans and Sixers Nation and talking shit about like the Sixers process and stuff like that. Like, what? Come on, don't let let's not go there. And of course, that's what that comment spawned. So that was the, I'd say that was my big shake my head moment of the press conference because it's just like I don't we don't need that. We don't need to be picking fights with organizations that, you know, maybe competing directly with the Bucks. And to be honest, you know maybe in a better position than the Bucks sooner rather than the Bucks like to think. So um so that was my biggest bummer. Um and other than that, I don't know, we can we can table maybe some of the stuff that happened after the presser. Because to be honest, I thought a lot of the more interesting comments, especially from Wes Edens, came after the press conference about the hierarchy and the structure and the decision making authority. But um I don't know. Any other thoughts from you on on that comment specifically or, or other things that you took from from the presser? It was just incredibly strange because I don't even know, maybe 30 seconds before the the whole results over process comment, he talked about how vital the process and culture is to right. the results. And in my head, like it was just like, what, was that a bit you were working on? Like, <laughs> were, were you workshopping that beforehand? Like, I, I just didn't, it, it just didn't make any sense to me because like, like you said, beforehand, I, I'm pretty sure I would have to rewatch the video, but I'm pretty sure no less than a minute before that, he said like process and culture is very important, and that's how you get results, and that's why we, we did uh, what, whatever it is that we did, and like it was just so strange to me to hear that line, and uh, I, I don't, it was uh, yeah, I, I'm to, I was totally confused by it because it flew in the face of everything that he had said before that like it just it didn't make a ton of sense to me um and then i guess one of the other things i wanted to highlight was um i thought it was it was one of john horse's responses and it was just kind of interesting because maybe it it gives a little insight into uh what happened in this process but there was a question near the end of it where uh, I believe it was Rob Burks from uh, 
WTMJ or TMJ four, excuse me, asked about the interview and what the interview was like with those guys. And uh, they had mentioned again, what I'd reported last week that he did go through the assistant GM interview last year and really impressed them when they ultimately decided Zanuck instead of uh, John Horst for that role. But then they went on to say a little bit more about kind of what that interview was like. And John said, interviewing for the job was, it was just a conversation with Wes and Mark, a long conversation, a long extended conversation, but I know these guys and I've spent a long time with them over the last three years. I respect them and we have open conversation and dialogue. We have and we did during that process. And I, I guess that was just kind of interesting to me because it the at no point was there, I guess, spin during this, pro, I, I guess, during that press conference. Like uh, At no point did they try to convince i think anyone that oh yeah john was a part of the original 15 candidates like that that to me never came across and i i think john was very open about that that he he wasn't and when they did first talk to him when john left the organization he said that they didn't discuss this gm role as something going forward so um i just thought that was interesting that um you know in these situations you're always expecting spin and and i mean there's a way you could say say things strategically that wouldn't give up that okay maybe he wasn't a part of that top 15 uh that they got originally when they started searching for this and uh you could attempt to hide like okay he he did come in at the end of the process but i thought there was a number of answers that made it clear that he did come in at the end of the process yeah i mean i think the the picture of you know sort of of john horse being the um um being sort of the the escape hatch for ownership after you know not being able to agree on on what to do when they got down to uh, Arturus Karnasovas and or Karnasovas and Justin Zanuck and then that became Justin just Justin Zanuck um and of course I mean the other the other thing which wasn't explicitly said today but was obvious from you know as you mentioned who was up on the dais today um I think you have a hard time convincing people who've been following this to the idea that it was a mere coincidence or just an availability thing that Wes Edens was the only of the only one of the, the three principal owners that was in the building today. Um, and, you know, I think for certainly anybody who's been following it and just sort of like, you know, I mean, it's been obviously a, far more of a soap opera from an ownership dysfunction standpoint than than anybody would have liked um in terms of stuff just getting out into the media and all that um but the fact that Wes Edens was up there by himself after you know all the reports suggested he was the guy blocking Justin Zanuck from being hired as the other owners were fine moving forward with um that I thought also just sort of I don't know. I mean, it did kind of just give you this feeling of it. it, it it's kind of hard because I think everybody wants to. I think if you're a Bucks fan, you you want to give certainly John Horst the benefit of the doubt. You know, he he's not responsible for ownerships, the 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 process the, that ownership ran. And you know, I think you know, I think what we've heard everyone has made clear. Like, I mean, there was no ill intent from John Horst through any of this. I mean, he was you know a bystander in sort of the the 
the disaster that was the process itself. Um, and obviously you, you hope that, that he does well and that, that he grows into the job and, um, you know, that, that he is able to succeed as, you know, he's, he's the, he's the Bucks guy now and we're, you know, we're all vested in him, uh, whether we like the process or not, but, um, you know, to, to try and say like, oh, the process like got, you know, and, and this was part of what I think Edens was trying to say when he was going off about results is that they got the result they wanted in Horst, um, but, you know, if the result is also he's the only owner willing to show up at the press conference, um, you know, again, like the official story, I'm sure is, well, you know, Mark and Jamie are billionaires and they've got other stuff to do and just couldn't make it, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't know if we even heard that today. I, I didn't I don't remember that being asked about or explicitly said. But um, I think that just sort of, you know, really drove home this idea that this was Wes Eden's um, bed and, and he was forced to sleep in it today as far as having to be the guy at that press conference to, you know, take whatever bullets were, were coming his way. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And, and then I've got one more thing on the presser itself, but I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that. Cause that obviously was, you know, not great, Bob. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know how much there really is to say about it. Like that, I guess the, the thing that, that kind of got me is that during it, during the press conference, there was so much so much said about all the voices and how many smart basketball people they have and how many smart business people they have and all these smart people they have. And, and I know I specifically asked the question, like, well, if you have so many people, does that make this more difficult? Does that make this more contentious? And obviously the answer to that question is no, but uh, for people that have made decisions before like i think it can be more difficult when you have a number of voices and when those voices don't know how forceful they should or shouldn't be and uh, i don't know it, it was just interesting to me that the that was something that i think concerned a number of bucks fans that okay they couldn't find a consensus so they ended up kind of finding Horse as a guy that they could all agree on. Uh, and part of that was because maybe they did have too many cooks that had to agree on what dish they were actually trying to make. And it just kind of got jumbled in the end. And yeah, it's like the, the only owner there, kind of, I think, does speak to kind of that struggle and kind of how, how difficult things could have been there. Yeah, and I think... Um... It was interesting. You asked the question, um, and we you kind of previewed it yesterday about uh, you know the process in Orlando, and you you basically asked it this way too that Orlando when they were interviewing uh, executives uh, for their positions, Jeff Weltman obviously eventually hired John Hammond for the GM job. But Jeff Weltman as president of basketball operations, uh, ownership made it sort of a, a basically a requirement that you know Frank Vogel who had, who had just shown up last year and uh, obviously had a good reputation coming in didn't have much success. Uh, was kept on as the coach. And, you know, you asked pretty bluntly with Jason Kidd sitting right there uh, whether that was a prerequisite for uh, for people in the job. And, uh, and of course, then Wes Eden's me said that everybody who came in, they didn't have to because what was it? His answer was basically like they didn't have to because everyone who interviewed thought, thinks the world of Jason because he's wonderful and blah, 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 right? Correct. Was that, that, was that it, basically? Yep. Yes, it was. Um, so that was a convenient sort of escape hatch for that. Um, although I, I laughed. I was watching uh, on video uh, in an office um, by myself uh, after after it happened live, and I started chuckling when you asked that because I just like – 
you know, because you obviously have to interview Jason Kidd every game, right? You you go up and talk to him every game. And so just the mere fact that he was sitting there and you <laughs> were asking a question about whether ownership was forcing the new general manager to keep him. I mean, I really I mean, it wasn't like framed that awkwardly, but um, but it was just a very straight to the point question, which obviously tons of fans want to know. And I just thought that was uh, that was amusing. And um, of course, the answer, uh, you know, was not terribly revealing, but I thought it was a question that had to be asked. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, it, I guess it was just something that I do think is very interesting. And ultimately, even if that is the case, I do think it'll be interesting going forward that, again, not that I was expecting a great answer, but I would have been very curious if that would have got a straight answer that Yes, we did say that that was a, a requirement that he did have to stay as the coach just because I do think that probably tells you a little bit about who could actually interview for that position and who would actually be interested in interviewing for that position because what did we say when all this began that, okay, a great roster, cool, great facilities, also awesome, but the things that motivate a general manager and the top general managers in, in the entire world. And I mean, we just saw with David Griffin, David Griffin left because well, him and Dan Gilbert couldn't agree on how much money to pay someone that a number of people think is a very good general manager and David Griffin. So they couldn't agree on that. So he, he left and is there a better job than having LeBron James be one of the best players on your team? I can't imagine there is. So right there, that just shows you that power or that money, it, it, they couldn't agree there. So that was the problem. So money and power, that's that's what you're looking for. And if as a general manager, you're not totally sure of that power, you're not totally sure of, uh, I, are they going to pay me as much as I want? Like if you're unsure of those two things, well, that I think speaks to kind of maybe some people, some fans being disappointed with the the candidates that were on the list. Like, but then you think about it, and that's why it happens. Yeah, and interesting. So um, I want to read these up these couple of quotes from so Matt Velasquez from the Journal Sentinel. Um, he got he he transcribed a couple of quotes, which I think are f- interesting. And there was a question raised, and again, maybe it was from you even <laughs> about like how decision making was going to happen and the number of voices you kind of alluded to it. Um, and I thought Wes Eden's kind of didn't answer it in the press conference. Like he made reference to like kind of a traditional approach or traditional structure, like the word traditional was used. Um, but he was mostly just sort of describing like, well, you know, that we have a lot of smart people and, you know, you, you'd want to, you know, you definitely want to get their input and opinion, things like that. Um, but he kind of stopped short of saying that like John Horst makes the final decision on, you know, the draft or trades or, you know, GM stuff. Right. Um, and then I thought it was really interesting though, cause, cause Matt Velasquez did retweet, um, or tweeted, um, some, some longer quotes, which I think offer way more, you know, shed way more light on that topic. And I'll just read them off here. Um, and then Eric, you can maybe give your thoughts on this, but, uh, so this is from Matt, uh, quoting, uh, Wes Edens. We think that the coach works for the general manager and that's the way that it works here. 
Jason obviously is a very experienced and qualified NBA person. He's still a relatively young coach, but that's the right hierarchy to do it. Again, at the end of the day, you're looking for consultation. You're looking for disagreements. That's what actually gets you to the best decisions. Jason's got his opinions on the basketball court. He's the king on the basketball court. John's got his opinions about the front office. He's the king of the front office. That's how it actually works. And then continues, the general manager will make the, and then it's in parentheses here, so it's not maybe said in so many words, but the general manager will make the player personnel decisions. They'll consult with us as I'd expect them to in any company. Anytime there's a big decision in any company outside of here, the CEO of the company will come and say, what do you think? They may choose to do what they're going to, and we hired a strong-willed guy, so he'll certainly do that. The final decision on who to draft on Thursday night is not going to be mine or Mark's or Jamie's. It's going to be John Horse. There's no question about that. So I thought that was interesting because I don't think we've ever necessarily gotten that forceful of a delineation of hierarchy and power of <laughs> what the general manager can do um, at any point during the John Hammond era. Um I know there was attempts to dissuade people of the idea that Jason Kidd was running things, but I I don't know. I feel like that was something that I think would have been very helpful to say during the press conference for people to hear because I think, you know, Bucks fans in general have wanted to hear something like this about whoever was going to be GM. Um, but I thought it was important that it got said. And I guess obviously we can follow up by saying well now they actually have to prove it and show us that this is actually the case but um but i did think that was very interesting especially given that john horse is actually obviously a young uh general manager and and again i mean he's now in charge of nominally if you listen to wes edens of jason kidd and obviously all the front office and some of those are people that you know he was serving effectively under uh as of a few days ago was that never said under him with hammond because I feel like it was said, and everyone was like, well, I'm not going to believe that because I saw this move. Like, didn't this happen? I feel, I'm trying to think back to when it was. Um, I feel like maybe after a season at some point. I, I, I think they tried to say that, that like, John Hammond like made, the deci- like made the decisions on personnel stuff. I don't think I, don't, I, don't think I ever heard a clear a statement that said that Jason Kidd works for the general manager or reports to the general manager. Um, I mean, and, and granted, do I think that John Horst could go fire Jason Kidd tomorrow? No. Um, I think he'd have to get ownership sign off cause that's too big of a decision to make just, you know, on his own without any, you know, just unilaterally. Um, but I don't know. I, I felt like this was a stronger and more pointed mandate than I think I've heard for John Hammond, but I do agree. I think they did try to make you feel like he had, more control over general managery stuff. But I think especially the part about the coach is something that I don't feel like we ever really heard in so many words. Yeah, that could be, I, I've just, I don't know. I've, I, you know me and that conversation and how tired of it I get because (laughs) like we all just sit here and speculate and guess and no one really knows. And even if you do know on a move and you've heard from enough people and you tell people that, no, that was a John Hammond move. No, it wasn't. Nope, that's Jason Kidd move. Okay, well, then you're just going to believe it's a Jason Kidd move. So, like, like I don't know. It's, like you said, essentially this will just come down to prove it and, I guess, prove it beyond in, uh, I don't even know, uh, in, uh, to the largest most extreme extent you could ever prove it like that's the only way i think bucks fans will believe it at this point because i know i don't know about your mentions i know my mentions for the last 
three days have been full of, well, this is just a puppet. Horst is a puppet. He's a young guy, and they're going to do whatever kid says. So, like, I don't know if we're ever really going to get rid of uh, the conspiracy theories, no matter how strong of a statement uh, is made about this. And also, wouldn't this have been pretty nice during the press conference? Yeah. Like, like, isn't that something you want to make sure gets on camera? Because I know I certainly gave the chance to answer this question. I know Andrew Wagner, who is sitting next to me, also gave the chance to answer this question about a hierarchy and how this all works. Like, that opportunity was given, and that opportunity was, was to me, squandered. And I just don't think seeing this in, uh, in the Journal Sentinel tomorrow or seeing these quotes tweeted out on, on Twitter, like, I just don't think that reaches people in the same visceral way that it would answering that question in the press conference. So uh, I, that's the thing that remains most curious to me because in the press conference, again, it was, well, Jason's a great basketball mind. And I, I know in this answer, it, it's the same thing. Uh, Jason's a great basketball mind. And, you know, we want to hear more opinions and we want to hear what these people think. And that, that conveys a very different message than those two quotes that came after the press conference. So I guess we're back to the more that is said, the less we really know about anything. Um, anything else from the press conference? I think there we can get to some questions. I know some of the questions that were asked uh, of us on Twitter also sort of allude to maybe a couple things that were said during the presser um, about uh, draft picks and draft approach and Tony Snell and Greg Monroe. Um, not that there were any, again, there weren't any bombshells here. Um, but as far as tea leaf reading, uh, of course, uh, anything said on those topics are, are I think, fair game and uh, quite understandably people are interested in it. Um, do you want to just dive into those or any other thoughts on the press conference? Uh, actually, before we before we hop in and we, we talk about what the people want us to talk about, I, I want to talk to the people about a great service, SeatGeek. They are... They've been our sponsors and supported us for pretty much as long as we've existed, and it's it's just awesome that they do that, and it's also awesome that they have such a great product. If you go to SeatGeek, you can check out great seats. You can find tickets to literally every event, and I know we're kind of in a dead period for basketball folks, but, I mean, there's still a ton of great sporting events, MLS soccer. You can uh, head out and get MLB tickets. You can get concert tickets, you can get Summerfest tickets, you can get tickets for everything, and SeatGeek has the hookup for you. So uh, you got to go out and check that out. And if you go to SeatGeek, you got to use our promo code. It's L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. It's very simple to use. All you got to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, enter a promo code and enter promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. And that'll get you tw- a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and do that today. Use it. Find tickets to a, whatever event it is that you want because SeatGeek has all of the tickets for everything. It, it's incredible, all the stuff that they have tickets for. So so go check that out today. And Frank, I was I was trying to think of other things I was thinking about with the press conference, but I can't totally decide what for sure I wanted to say. So 
I'm sure it'll come to me at some point, and if if I have a, a hot take, I will I will hop in and, and just blurt it out. <laughs> you were not bashful. Um, okay, let let's go to some of Twitter questions. And you asked like five minutes before we started recording, and we got like a whole ton of them. So thanks everybody for asking. We we just sort of cut it off. Seriously, that was crazy. It was like ten o'clock at night when I tweeted that out. So shout out to all of you for. I guess maybe ten o'clock is a prime time because people are getting ready to go to sleep or something on Twitter, like, and they're just on their phones. But shout out to all you guys. Good stuff. Uh, so this one, uh, I'm, I just have these in order that we got them. Uh, Will, our friend Willie Armstrong, Canada Bucks, asks, do you know how many years horses signed for? I don't think anything has been stated publicly about that. But my guess is for a first-time GM, if you put a gun to my head, I'd just guess three years. And um, I don't know. That, that would be my guess. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to find that out. Um, and my guess is, uh, they are not paying him, uh, RC Buford money. That would be my other, (laughs) (laughs) or Phil Jackson money or any money of anybody else that is well established. And also I feel like that's pretty normal as well. Like I I don't, I don't think most GM contracts are immediately, uh, I don't, I actually, I don't even know if most GM contracts are actually told by the by the ownership or, or by the organization. Like eventually it'll, it'll probably just leak at some point and then you'll know. But, um, and maybe it's, I feel like it's sometimes you don't even know the dollar amounts for sure either. Like you'll just yeah. know that they, they have three years left or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, when I was trying to look a while ago, I was trying to look up and see what RC Buford's contractual status was and I couldn't find anything anywhere. Um, I mean, I think some of the best GMs you do get into to a few million per year. I mean, I think what Phil Jackson's like, is he at ten million. He's at something crazy, like eight million, ten, ten million, twelve million, something like. Stupid, I, I think it's ten or twelve. Yeah, especially when you consider he's bad at his job. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's certainly the outlier. And I I want to say that David Griffin, who uh, you know, if you didn't see it, there were a lot of uh, Twitter sphere uh, action around this tonight. Uh, we're recording on Monday night. Uh, Dave Griffin and and Cleveland parting ways. And I and I think I read that Dave Griffin was was maybe around a couple million per year in Cleveland. Um, and I don't know if we have question. Uh, yeah, we do have a question about Dave Griffin. I was going to say we should probably address because I know a million people have asked me if the Bucks could now hire <laughs> David Griffin to be uh, their president of basketball operations. No, um, but uh, let's just kind of get through these. So, uh, Mill Buck one. Just wait. I want to go back to Griffin one. Okay. Let, let me. Let me. Can I ask the question? Uh, let me ask a question that someone had, which involved sure. that. How about that? Sounds uh, great. Brooke- Brooke Meyer asks, should Bucks have waited for Griffin slash did anyone try calling Hinky slash any of this annoying Giannis? Uh, parentheses, Cavs narratives always include LeBron. So I, I guess the first question with uh, could they bring him in as president of basketball ops, that's the one I've gotten a lot like over the top of horse. No, um, that wouldn't be something they would do. And one of the- I mean, they could they could do anything, right? Like, Correct. We, we can't like rule anything out, but I would agree like don't don't think that that would would happen at this point that just doesn't seem yeah uh and then i guess with that one thing i did find interesting in uh the press conference was as eden's talked about how long this process could take and how serious this process is and that at times if you're in a different company hiring something as important as this position you may take months and months in this in this process trying to figure out who the the right person is for that job and i couldn't help but think yeah teams do do that 
all the time, like the, the magic took, was it two months? The Hawks took two months. And if it wasn't two months, it was just short of two months. Like, yeah, like it, it is normal to take that long. And I, I just thought it was interesting that they did seem to have like that timeline in place that they did want this person to be installed as GM before the draft. And I just thought that was interesting that there was, there was not a world where they could kind of conceive of going past this deadline and then having that new GM come in after, uh, after Justin Zanuck had taken care of the draft and maybe after Justin Zanuck had taken care of free agency. Um, I, I did chuckle when our our friend Brett Abramchik from Brew Hoop uh, t- t- he retweeted uh, Jimmy Carlton had a uh, the full quote of um, the whole you know guys in Philly like to talk about the process thing um, and and Brett uh, summarized it as this went from quote we got the right guy to quote at the end of the day we need a person to lead the draft and John Horse is a person pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, and that uh, <laughs> kind of tailed off there a little bit but uh, i i but. also i also thought too that they talked about that village and how they have all these smart people and that with this village of people supporting them they were able to take a guy that was a little bit younger a little bit less experienced and in my head i thought that that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement of john horse like you know we got a lot of smart people around so we could we could handle hiring this guy, and again, I don't necessarily think that's fair to John Horst. Like he 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 talked about his resume and how he, he could handle this job, but just the fact that in a press conference announcing this guy, I feel like the message should be: this is no doubt our guy. We love this guy. We think he's great. It doesn't matter if we end up bringing in an, uh, an experienced assistant GM. It doesn't matter if we end up uh, keeping Rod Thorne around. It doesn't matter if we have Jason Kidd here. It doesn't matter about all these other things. Like, this is our guy. We are so sure of it. And instead, the the answer or one of the answers was, you know, we have a village of really smart people. So we are able to take a younger guy, a little bit less experienced. And it was just like, you should be building this guy up. Like, this is his introductory press conference as the guy that's supposed to lead this team into the future. I don't know. It was, I, again, that was another strange thing from, from the press conference. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough to spin, right? Because they, they obviously didn't, he wasn't in the initial search. You know, he, he wasn't a year ago. He, he was in the writing for AGM. The assistant GM job didn't get that. Zanuck obviously got that. Um, and so, I mean, it's tough to obviously spin this, right? Like to find an eloquent way to, to explain how, uh, you know, how the process led to, to John Horst. And again, not a knock on John Horst is, um, for, you know, his credentials or anything like that. Like at 34 years old, I mean, there just aren't people that you would say like, oh yeah, that guy's definitely supposed to be a, an NBA GM right now. I mean, it's really hard to have the credentials to, to say like, oh yeah, definitely a, a GM. But, um, but I mean, he didn't have the. I mean, I thought the the one point they made was was a solid one, which was you know talking about like, well, you know, we always thought John would one day be a GM, and then you know the future the, that he was a future GM, and now the future is now. I was like, oh, that's actually a decent talking point. Okay, that's better. And obviously, then like you know the Philly thing comes out, and I'm like, oh god, come on guys. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, I think I think some of that may have um, that got me thinking that the question that was asked, like basically the why not Justin Zanuck question that was asked. Um, and that was also kind of, I mean, obviously, whatever, like he shouldn't give the straight answer on that. Like whatever reason Wes, Wes Eden's had for not liking Justin Zanuck, like realistically, he he 
as a decent person, like you shouldn't be like, oh, well, you know, I thought he did X, Y, and Z, or I hated it when he did this. Like, you're not yeah. supposed to say that publicly. Correct. So I get it, right? Um, but that was kind of interesting because it sort of went to like, oh, we have this big list of things that you want from a, a GM candidate. And I thought it was he was kind of going the direction of like saying you have to be a million different things. But then it ended up being like, no one person can be all these things and we've got all these you know all all these talented people here and you know you can't be superman and it was kind of like what was this about like so wait what was, what was the reason that justin sanic wasn't wasn't hired it was, it was a little bit i mean whatever again like that question by by definition is not going to be actually answered um but that was a little bit um a little bit of a, a head scratcher as well um but yeah i mean i think uh, just to circle back to the the question from brooke um I mean, I don't think Griffin not – I would say this. I don't think Griffin – it seems like Griffin not ending up staying with the Cavs is less of a surprise around the league than maybe a lot of us would have expected. Like it just seems like that should have – I mean they should have figured something out. But, um, you know, Dan Gilbert's gone through like four GMs in 12 years or something like that. I think Brian Windhorst quoted that number recently which is he's never hired a a gm to a second contract (laughs) yeah basically um so you know and again he hadn't won a championship before either um but it it is it is highly ironic of course that the bucks you know that that this very high profile candidate becomes available the day that the bucks announced you know a very low profile candidate let's say um as their gm um but I don't think the Bucks were let's just say this if the Bucks really wanted David Griffin and really you know if they would have been willing to pony up and back up the Brinks truck for whatever David Griffin would want um I don't think we necessarily would have been where we were today I I I'll just say that like I don't think the Bucks are sitting there thinking like oh man damn it yeah I, I and and maybe they should and that you know like I would feel a lot more confidence in understanding that the and feeling like the Bucks have you know a really strong structure in place. If you had obviously David Griffin as your GM or president of basketball operations, and John Horst as your assistant GM, or John Horst as your director of basketball operations, and Justin Zanuck as your assistant GM, like obviously you know you have more you have more experienced, proven people than fans like us are going to feel more confident because we just n- know something about these people's track records. Um, but again, as far as whether the Bucks actually feel that way, I, I don't know. I don't get the impression that the Bucks are you know, necessarily wishing for a do over. And yeah, I would just say to everybody out there who's like hoping that, that maybe there might be some way. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I think the bucks have made their decision and again, we'll see what they do as far as the rest of the staff under John horse, but I, I don't see anybody coming in uh, above him. And um, I I think that's the big thing. Like they didn't wait because, well, if you're not willing to offer him those things, it doesn't matter how long you wait <laughs> it doesn't matter how long he has not been employed by the cavaliers like if you're not willing to pay that much whatever it would take for griffin or give him that much power or it goes back to the jason kidd question of okay would you be okay with him moving on from kid and going to a new coach like if you're not okay with all those things well then why would you wait for david griffin because it's going to be a no if you tell him you're not going to give him some of those things also i mean given everything that's happening, I mean, does David Griffin want anything to do with the Milwaukee Bucks? After, I mean, like, if you're a high-profile GM... It's a great I mean, question. I mean, like, 
you know, I think it was mentioned during the press conference today, like, oh, this is, you know, the best GM job in the league or, you know, something to that effect. And, um, no, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's from a, from a, like, do you feel confident in the people that you're working for are going to be predictable and intelligible and, you know, not do something unpredictable? Like clearly at this point, <laughs> you would not feel that way about the bucks. And again, maybe that's, maybe the bucks will be totally, you know, maybe ownership will be totally normal and productive and functional moving forward. I hope they are, but I mean, there's no way you can say that after the last few weeks, right? I, I mean, that's just, I mean, in the last two weeks, John Hammond has decided that he would rather have job security as the number two in a different position than stay on for another year as the general manager of the Bucks. And then Arturis Kondosovis decided the exact same thing. Like, he gets the title of GM, but he's not in charge in Denver. Like, he, he has essentially the same job, just with a better title. And... Yeah, like I think that does kind of speak to some things, right? Because while those two are more lateral moves that give you job security, this this job as GM, in theory, should give you more power and should give you that opportunity. And both of those guys decided to go in different directions. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know the Bucks just need to kind of put their heads down and go to work and. <laughs> Like just do well for a while, I think before. And there's you know, a lot of work to do. Yeah, and just sort of let this blow over. I mean, the good news for them is that Dan Gilbert now, from a national perspective, is pretty much going to give them a bunch of cover, and people are pretty much not going to pay attention to I think what's gone on in Milwaukee because nobody, nobody really knows what's going on. I was like, all right, and you ended up hiring this young guy. Okay, whatever. Now let's go think about what LeBron. If LeBron's going to go to LA because David Griffin left Cleveland, right? I mean, that's a much more interesting story to everyone. So. Um, so that's, that's good news for the bucks. Um, and, um, uh, Brooks, other question there. Did anyone try calling Hinky? Um, all indications, no, Hinky was not reached. I think there's, there are, uh, reports that Hinky's under a non-compete and I'm, I don't, I think that may be ending in July. I think it may have been just for this year, but again, like, I mean, are you going to tell me that like, there's no way Sam Hinky could have applied, like the Sixers wouldn't have let him take another job, you know, in late June when his non-competes ending in July, like, I have a hard time believing that. I just think, especially Rod Thorne, I mean, him and his buddies were replaced by Sam Hinkie in, in Philly, right? So I think that's pretty much the end of your story there as to why Sam Hinkie wouldn't have gotten called. Um, Charlie Saturday asked us, does ownership have any sense of or care about their perception amongst the fan base as it relates to their big basketball decisions? Um, <laughs> just answer it. <laughs> I would say not enough. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> clearly not enough, probably. Although, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe Mark Lazary and Jamie Dynan uh, realized that that this was not a, 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 an, a an event today that they wanted to have to deal with. So 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 maybe they realized the uh, the the perception stuff. And, you know, they're again going to let Wes Edens take the bullets for uh, for for basically being the the architect of of that disaster. But um I don't know. I mean, I think they're they're aware, but you know, again, like uh, you know, it, it's it's complicated. I don't know what what more is there to say. I mean, really, like, I to me, the results over process thing. Like, again, they said the other stuff about process, so it was just a confusing comment. But in my mind, all I could think of was like, I I will totally agree that people won't forget about this if you have results, but they'll be more forgiving of it. 
But if you don't get results and this is the stuff you pulled, whew, that means that blowback is that much more extreme. Like it, it just is. Those those are the facts of life. So uh, I, I I don't know if they have any sense of it or they care about it, um, but I can tell you they should be caring more about it uh, because this has been, I don't want to say a disastrous two to three weeks, but it's been a bad two to three weeks for this organization. Um, Mill Buck one asks, curious about horse quote unquote high floor comment about draft prospects, just a throwaway comment. Or do you think the bucks are actually moving away from toolsy high upside, high risk prospects and towards quote safer picks to put around the core. And this is a reference to, um, a, a brief comment John Horse made, kind of unprompted, um, talking about uh, the draft and basically, I, I think it was something effective, like they don't want to, you know, understate the importance of having a high floor and they want to get a guy who's going to be, you know, a long-term piece for them and, you know, contribute for a long time. Something to that effect. Um, I don't know. What do you make of it? Does that does that mean anything? I mean, again, he, he didn't have to say anything about high floor or anything really and and he said it so I, I don't know maybe there is something to that um i took it more as he understands that rookie contracts are valuable and that those rookie contracts need to bring them some value on the floor um and i told you this when we first talked about this uh before we started recording but i know last year i was all about thumbmaker's floor like that was the thing that excited me was that even if the shooting didn't happen, if the dribbling didn't happen, if there was no playmaking, like he was still very likely to be able to block a bunch of shots and he was probably still very likely to be able to guard a number of positions and use his quickness and his feet. And that is a high floor. So I think part of it just comes back to, uh, Cole Zwicker, when he, we had him on, he was talking about archetypes and archetypes that are valuable. And uh, to me, I, I think that would very much guide kind of how this draft goes for the Bucks. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we, we've talked a fair bit about how Thon was probably sneakily more high floor than than super high ceiling. Um, hopefully he does still have a high ceiling. Um, but but it is interesting looking back at, at all the Bucks picks, right? Because... Um, you know, I mean, I think that the, if you try to draw like the thread between all of them, I think there's something to be said for like going for oftentimes younger guys and certainly longer guys. But if you look at, you know, the history of their picks, like were they really high ceiling guys? I mean, you know, was Joe Alexander, you know, I think he was 21 or 22. Was he a super high ceiling guy? Um Obviously not, uh, but uh, but like that wasn't even really the perception of him when he was drafted. Um, Brandon Jennings maybe had more of a high ceiling view, although his physical like his the fact that he wasn't big was obviously sort of a fundamental limiting limiting factor. You know, Larry Sanders, Tobias Harris, um, not I don't think like superstar upside or star upside type guys ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Henson similar. I mean, John Henson was a three year college guy. You know not really super high upside. I mean, really the, you know, I think Giannis is, is really more the exception to the rule or the more, more the exception than the rule as far as, um, you know, bucks picks in terms of being like really high upside guys. I mean, I think there is a fair bit of track record for the bucks 
taking chances on guys who have atypical backgrounds. You know, when you look at Jennings, Giannis, um, and of course Thon. Um, but as far as guys who are like, you know, complete boom or bust type picks, I don't know if they've really even done that much in the past few years. But, um, you know, certainly again, like, you know, if if Harry Giles is the Bucks pick on on Thursday night, he's maybe the most boom or bust type guy I can think of just because like we don't even know if he like has his is going to be ever physically back to what he was when he was a really highly touted high schooler. Um, If they pick a guy like that, then I would say, well, so much for, you know, high floor type stuff. Um, But uh, but I don't know. It it certainly was an interesting thing that that got mentioned today. Um, Jake O asked, what is the most likely move you see horse making as the new GM sign or not sign Snell or Beasley fire kid trade Jabari, et cetera. I think one of those is, by far so, the easiest one. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's just. You mentioned him today. <laughs> oh no, I was going in a different direction. Uh, what were you going to say? Not sign Beasley. I don't think there's a chance. No, I, I mentioned no Snell. Snell was included in there too. Oh, I didn't know that we were doing that as a package deal. Sorry, I was not looking at the question, just listening. Um, yeah, I I think that seems very likely to me. Uh, he's John Hammond's right hand man. Hammond gushed about him. Uh, obviously, he gushed about him today when I asked about him. And, yeah, I, I think that seems pretty likely. I, I think Snell has been a priority for this organization, uh, I mean, really since the second half of the season. that They've really talked about how much he means to them and how well he fits. And uh, once the offseason started bringing him back has been a big deal to this organization. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Snell just logically makes sense. I mean, uh, John Horst said today, you know, he, he kind of made the the quick point that, you know, Snell fits what they do really well. And, and, um, you know, also made the point that, that I think the bucks fit him well in terms of his skill set and, um, what the bucks have to put around him. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, I, I've been a little bit skeptical about the Bucks' interest in retaining Greg Monroe. Obviously, the the decision initially here is on Greg Monroe to decide if he opts in or out on June 22nd. Um, but I thought it was interesting. And again, this is from John Hammond, who is no longer with the team. But I just think back to that end of season media availability where he gushed about Tony Snell and wanting Tony Snell back. And when it was about Greg Monroe, it was just, well, Greg's got that decision to make, and you know, we'll we will we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Nothing about like. You know, Greg was great for us this year. We'd obviously love to have him back. Um, you know, there's none of that at all. <laughs> Those words like, were not used. No, there was nothing at all, sort of like to suggest that 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 they wanted Greg Monroe to opt in or that they wanted to re-sign him if he opted out. Um, today, John Horst did pay at least a quick lip service to um, Greg Monroe being a guy they value highly. Um, so, so I don't know. But again, it's kind of one of those things. It's like. John Hammond and John Horst don't necessarily have to see eye to eye on everything, right? I mean, John Horst may feel Absolutely. totally differently about about some of these guys. Um, as far as let's see, um, kind of going down. So, uh, uh, Alex Cassis, Alex Alex K asks, "What do you think the timeline will be to find Horst assistant GM after draft, but before free agency? Any idea who they might target?" Um, I, I really don't know. I, I, to be honest, I couldn't give you a name really. Um, you know, we've just heard that it would probably be somebody who's, it, it seems like it would be somebody who's been around for a while, probably someone who's not a threat to appear, you know, looking to be looking for a, a GM job. 
Um, but other than that, I, I don't know. I don't have any bright. I don't have any bright ideas. What about you? I mean, uh, I struggled to figure out GM candidates. So <laughs> asking me who could a possible assistant GM be, I, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, you would. If you're going to say those things as strongly as you did uh, earlier today about kind of John Horst's role, Jason Kidd's role, the hierarchy, how that all works, well, then you need a a non-threatening assistant GM that would not be someone that would be rumored to be an up-and-coming GM of the future type, uh, someone that has also maybe recently had jobs like David Griffin to be John Horst's assistant GM. Like, obviously that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so it, it does need to be, I would have to assume someone non-threatening, but uh, I guess to me it points to someone who's very experienced, someone who's a little bit older, um, a John Hammond type who does not want to be a GM anymore. Maybe <laughs> um, like, I think that would be ideal. Um, but obviously as we heard from John Hammond at the end of the season kind of exit interview is, well, most NBA guys want to continue to be NBA guys and most GMs want to continue to be GMs. Like, like that is kind of the life you've, you've chosen to live and you want to do that pretty much forever. So um, I, I think it'll be tough to find those type of guys, but uh, we'll just kind of have to see. Uh, Kyle Burling asked, do you have any insight into some specific decisions Horace was involved in or what his previous responsibilities were? Um, I think we've mentioned, you know, the general way he's been painted as sort of this right-hand man for uh, John Hammond um, being a guy who was sort of the cap guy um, for him, which probably isn't surprising, you know, that, that John Hammond was, was not the details guy, um, as is often the case that, you know, you have a a younger guy who's maybe more into knowing the ins and outs of the cap. So, um, all of that type stuff. I mean, I think, you know, he's a guy that has done scouting. I mean, pretty much, you know, all the stuff that you'd have to do, um, you know, in in some ways, right? Like all the stuff a a GM has to care about. Obviously, I think he's had some exposure to, um, but there was certainly, it seems like in what we've heard, there's been more an emphasis on like, well, he's like, was the Bucks salary cap guy. And, you know, again, what that means, you know, the specific decisions horse was involved in. I mean, we have no idea, right? We, We don't know if he was, you know, arguing against some of the Bucks bad moves and for some of their good ones. I will hope that was the case, um, but again, to, to isolate it to to a, a, a director of basketball ops in a behind-the-scenes thing, we, we really have no idea at this point. Yeah, it's very tough to know. It's very tough to know how he feels about things, um, but I, I do think in the last kind of week, we've heard some stuff. I, I know Matt Velasquez mentioned it in his piece. I, I know Jason Kidd mentioned it a little bit in his, post, his post-presser media availability that's strange um but during that he had mentioned that yeah john is a guy that you do see in the draft room that that was there with us during those nights that uh when the trade deadline comes around he was in those rooms like he understands kind of how this all goes what these processes look like so um i think there should be some comfort in that that he's been in those rooms and he kind of knows how all this goes uh like you said he seems from everything we've heard to be the kind of details guy that you you try to get the parameters of a deal and then he's the one that's really digging deep in there and figuring out exactly how it all works and how it works with cap and and all that so um yeah it's tough to really know um anything for sure but yeah right hand man and kind of the the details guy the cap guy 
Uh, Paul Pressy 25 asks, what move was Justin Zanuck involved in that went wrong? Plumley deal, Telly, he did something stupid last year that caused Edens to lose trust. I I don't know. I, I don't really, I kind of doubt that it was like one basketball decision that, that would have soured Wes Edens or, you know, whatever, whatever caused Wes Edens to not be in favor of Justin Zanuck being the GM. Um, I have no idea. I mean, it, it, to me, and again, this is just like complete speculation, just seems like kind of one of those things like, like maybe he just didn't, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's like you try to think like, well, what do, what do, what does a billionaire want in a guy running his basketball team? Is it like some kind of like alpha mentality? Is it some kind of like, you know, super aggressiveness? Did, was Zanuck not as optimistic about the Bucks roster? I, I don't know. Right. I mean, I think there's, there's kind of a bunch of different things, but I kind of feel like it seems like it would be unlikely that it would have been just like one like basketball decision um, because there would be plenty of blame to go around for that. And you ultimately hired a guy who obviously is a, was an internal hire. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's a little weird because it doesn't seem like anybody else in the organization had that necessarily that same negative feeling towards Zanuck, who in the greatest of ironies uh, tonight was linked with potentially going to Cleveland as part of a new management structure there, Chauncey Billups being rumored as a potential president of basketball operations candidate. And um, I was curious, I was like, wow, Zanuck getting linked with that deal. And so I looked up who Chauncey Billups agent was back when he played and it was Andy Miller and Andy Miller's agency is where Justin Zanuck worked before going to Utah. So um, it kind of, I assume that's maybe part of the dot connecting there that that Justin Zanuck and, and Chauncey do have some kind of previous relationship and familiarity from that. Um, and obviously Chauncey Billups like is in no way qualified to run a basketball team. So I, I don't know what what why you would hire him. But um, <laughs> it, would, it would, of course, be fascinating if Justin Zanuck ends up being like the assistant GM or GM under the president of basketball operations for the Cleveland Cavaliers of all teams um, after all this this mess that we've seen go down in Milwaukee. Yeah, I think I, too, would be surprised if it was just a specific decision and just one thing that it, I guess he couldn't clear out of his head because... To me, if that one one decision existed, one, there'd probably be more people on the staff that felt that way. And two, I feel like maybe you move a little bit more aggressively. That you say, okay, this wasn't our guy. Uh, we, don't, we don't think that because of this move and his stupidity here, like... I feel like if it was that bad of an opinion or there was that bad of a moment, that would stick out in everyone's head. Um, so, yeah, there there had to be some, like you said, underlying trait, some underlying, uh, I don't even know, personality, characteristic. Uh, there just had to be something there that, that did not sit right. Um, because if there was one, I feel like there was one moment, if there was one, uh, racist comment at a season ticket holder, <laughs> like if there, if there was one, if there was one, to be clear, th- there was not, that is a Wes Wilcox reference. <laughs> that, that is, that is, we, you're not saying anything about Justin Zanuck making off color comments, but yes, if there was that one moment, then I feel like that just would have made more sense, uh, for why the entire organization would not be okay with that. Um, rather than maybe just one owner that would have a problem there. So I, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, Travis Schlepp asked, do we have any insight into horse philosophy for building a contender? What does he think is keeping the team from competing? Oh, I got this one. So okay. 
I was going to say, this is a great question, and I'm not really sure, so go ahead. Really? I was just going to use every buzzword that the NBA currently uses. <laughs> uh, cap flexibility, hitting first-round picks, or hitting draft picks, period. Uh, being able to switch defensively, a lot of defensive versatility, uh, capitalizing from the three-point line, right? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be everyone's kind of strategy? Probably, yeah. Got to get shooters. Shooters got to shoot. Got to get some shooters. <laughs> and again, like I don't mean to demean the question because it is a very good question, and it's going to be fascinating to figure out how he goes about that. Like, how does he try to build a contender? Um, but yeah, I, I think to me the the thing that I think will stand out with Horst is if he, he really is the cap expert that we've been told to believe. I, I know today he mentioned having roster flexibility. I would have to assume that the the cap would be managed, uh, hopefully, or at least you would hope it would be managed a little bit better and there wouldn't be some of the bad contracts that we've seen in the last couple of years over uh, with Hammond. So to me, that was something that stood out. Also, we're going to get 17 right. We're going to get 48 right. There was no, well, you know, maybe we'll trade away. We could trade away 48. Maybe we'll see if we end up taking those picks like, no, we're going to get those right. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting, but um, I, I don't, again, I think it's difficult to have a whole lot of insight into anything very specific about horse beliefs, philosophies, strategies, tactics. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where uh, we're just going to have to see him in action, right? I mean, and, and this is the right time to to, to get a quick sample on, on what John Horse looks for and what kind of decisions uh, he's going to make uh, initially as a GM, or or how he's go, let's just say this: how he's going to lead the Bucks to make some decisions um, around the draft and free agency, resigning their own guys, potentially trades. Um, we won't have to wait long, presumably, for that. Um, one other question: this one's pretty specific, uh, but we'll, I'll just throw it in here. Dan Hoppen asks: I'm kind of falling in love with Derek White at 17. Am I crazy? Would you guys be happy with that pick if it comes to be? Um, and I actually mentioned Derek White to you earlier because we were, we were talking before the the podcast about the high floor thing. What does it mean? Does it mean that you're going to go for younger guy for for older guys, younger guys? Um, Derek White's an interesting guy. I know we've talked about him. He was a guy who uh, was a late bloomer. Uh, ended up transferring to Colorado. He's from Colorado. Ended up going to Colorado his senior year of college. Um, was terrific in the Pac-12. Um, and is just a really interesting player. He just does a lot of different stuff. He's basically a combo guard. Um, did really well. I think at Portsmouth and went to the the draft combine. I think he played well there as well. And has sort of an interesting skill set of, you know, pretty good shooter. Um, can can make plays. Uh, has good size. Maybe not a terrific athlete, but tested really well for whatever that's worth. And you know, randomly blocked, I think, what, 1.4 shots a game as a point guard, something crazy like that. So he's kind of one of these guys, and I think that, you know, he's been mentioned as, like, who's the, who's the Malcolm Brogdon of this year's draft? And I've heard Derek White mentioned. Obviously, if he, he, he has a chance to go in the first round, maybe not as high as 17, but an interesting player. Um, and and certainly, I mean, we, uh, and if people haven't checked it out, um, the Locked on NBA podcast that, that uh, David Locke uh, puts out on a weekly basis, we did have the mock draft uh, in multiple parts, and we recorded our pick in the 13 to 18 range, of course, uh, the Bucks at 17. Um, and 
we we ended up kind of going back and forth and just eventually just sort of threw our arms up in the air and, and picked Jawan Evans, another point guard. Um, and we didn't really talk about Derek White, but, you know, Derek White's another guy. It's like, I don't know, like if a bunch of scouts went around and said, like, oh, actually, Derek White is a mid first round pick. And then I watched what he did and looked at his numbers and all that stuff. I would say, I, I guess I could understand that, you know, I mean, in this draft where it seems like so much of the mid first to early second is is just fluid and. You know, guys are going to bounce around a lot. I don't know. Derek White's another one of those guys that, um, again, like, would I be super excited about him as number 17? Probably not. But I'm not sure there's anybody at this point, you know, other than a, a guy shockingly slipping out of the lottery that I'd be really excited about. Are you getting any closer to thinking that's going to happen? Because these last 48 to 72 hours have been borderline insane. Um, I, I just, man, I... I feel very confident in who the, the, the top 12 in this draft are, and we've talked about that before. We talked about when we had Cole on the pod, and I feel pretty confident in that, but, man, there, there just seems to be so much movement, so much activity, and so much, I guess, so many teams trying to figure out how you survive in this current environment. Like, Are you preparing for five years down the road when maybe the Warriors have broken up? Are you... Are you trying to tank right now? Are you trying to stack up assets? Like, how are you all trying to do this? And I just feel like there's a lot of teams thinking this summer is a time where they need to make a move. And um, part of me is starting to wonder if someone could fall uh, to the Bucks at 17. Um, and as far as White goes, yeah, I think there's a lot there that would suggests like okay maybe this is a guy that fits in with the bucks and, and i think a a number of the reasons you may like donovan mitchell would be a number of the reasons why you may like Derek white um and i i don't know if i i guess we've seen donovan mitchell already take a pretty significant jump up draft boards and i think we've also seen that with Derek white where for a while he, he was a pretty much a second rounder and now we're we're starting to see him move further and further up so um he'll be a fascinating guy to watch on draft night especially because of the glut of big men that exist in that area um that i to me that's kind of the thing that that stands out that once you get to 15 like there's just bigs everywhere and if you don't really want to take a big if you look at how the league is trending and you think okay it doesn't make any sense let's go with someone else let's go with with a guard who are the guys that jump up and well Derek White seems like one of the guys but I will say I'm not going to join you in the falling in love with Derek White Club because that means I would have to leave the falling in love with Juwan Evans Club and <laughs> that's just not happening I'm not ready to fall in love um that's that's my that's my official take. It you know it seems like the one um, the one guy that I've seen a couple mocks showed slipping out of the lottery. Who many you know we often saw getting in the late lottery or early in the process was OG Ananobi from Indiana, um, yep. and and that would be of course interesting. We've mentioned him a lot of questions about him in terms of like is he skilled enough? Very small sample on him just in terms of his two years in part because of tearing his ACL last year, but. Um, not a guy who is a high level recruit, but has a ton of physical tools, um, you know, kind of ideal combo forward sort of wing, but potential four man size in the modern NBA. Um, but lots of questions about just can, you know, can he shoot well enough? And it's, it's kind of weird. I keep Chad Ford 
I see multiple things where Chad Ford refers to him as like a prototypical three and D guy. And Chad Ford was on the locked on NBA podcast as well and, and said that as well. And I'm just like, what don't you have to like be good at shooting threes to there, there's two requisites for three and D <laughs> and, and I mean, he might get there. He might get there. He might, you know, whatever, figure that out. And I mean, but, but I think he was not a good free throw shooter either. So, uh, so yeah, OG Ananobi, lots of questions, but I think if you want to roll the dice on like a, you know, guy with super defensive versatility, um, he, he might be one of those guys, but I've, I'll, to be honest, an interesting pick for the bucks, given that he's another guy with, um, you know, Jabari Parker type athleticism. It, it turns out he uses it in a completely different way because he's basically an all defensive type guy. Um, if you could combine OG Ananobi and Jabari Parker into one player and pick their best attributes, you would have, you know, like the greatest basketball player ever, but, but like a complete inability to stay <laughs> on the court due to knee injuries. Um, but uh, so, so he'd be a weird fit, let's say just in terms of like the roster numbers, but um, an interesting guy, but, but yeah, anyway, my, I think my dream slip is, is Donovan Mitchell, but that ain't going to happen. So I'm sad. Okay. I, I, I think, uh, I think that is probably my dream slip as well. Um, also, you know what, whatever, we're still here where you've recorded way too much and whatever. I'm just going to keep going with it. Uh, Justin Jackson was in for a workout the other day in the same workout as Donovan Mitchell. And wasn't that interesting that like the two, maybe the two like guys who are projected the highest of anybody the Bucks have worked out actually worked out against one another? Wasn't yeah. that weird? Yeah, it was kind of cool. The guy was like, there, it's, it's difficult to get guys that might be lottery guys or just outside the lottery guys to do group workouts and both those dudes did and uh, i think maybe that does speak a little bit to those two guys and maybe some of uh their desires to get drafted higher where they're saying sure whatever i'll go against a a lower prospect where i only i i guess i can only lose any something here like i, I don't have anything to gain from beating up on this guy but i'm gonna do it to show you that i can compete um, so yeah, that that was kind of cool. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on Justin Jackson? Because I started to think about it a little bit more, and he's just an interesting scorer. I guess me, I would be very uh, cautious about his defense. I guess, but there's some some interesting stuff there, especially if his three point shooting is is real, like a six eight guy that can hit some threes and has some length. Like, I might be able to get interest in that even with the advanced age. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't like old prospects. Um, I mean, granted, I was just saying I kind of like Derek White, but um, I, I don't know. The, the fact that Justin Jack, I mean, he was a pretty highly touted recruit, I think, if I recall correctly, coming out of high school, and then really just wasn't very good for two years <laughs> um, at, at North Carolina and um, didn't shoot well for his first two years and then I think made some mechanical changes to his shot. Um, yeah, he was the ninth-ranked player in the class of 2014, so a big-time prospect. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm just a little skeptical that that he's for real. But I, again, like I think he's an easy guy. If you, if you want to sort of talk yourself into somebody, um, you know, you look at his length and the fact that he did you know he took a really high volume of threes 37 percent from three isn't tremendous but you know again it's fine um and uh, almost three assists a game so has to have some basketball iq given he's not a point guard obviously he's he's about six um six eight and a quarter six eleven wingspan so yeah i don't know i just don't know 
I don't think he has very high upside. Let me say this. Um, and I don't know, just like his age, I'm just, I just can't get that, that excited about him. But part of it, maybe I can't fully explain why. See, I was, you know, I was the exact same way. And I don't know, for some reason after that workout, um, it, it, I just started to kind of think about that and think about the bucks and kind of what they're trying to build. And part of me just said, you know what, maybe that does fit. Um, so I don't know. I'm more, I would say I'm more intrigued with Justin Jackson than I was a week ago. Um, and maybe, maybe that's a guy that falls to 17, um, out of that top 15. So, sure, uh, yeah. we, we will have to see there. Um, I think that's going to be it. I'm going to apologize to all the people's questions that we didn't get. It's, it's almost 1135 now, uh, 90 minutes after we sent out that tweet and we're both still getting uh, questions so uh sorry that we didn't get to all of them but uh anytime we ask for them keep sending them in because it makes this much easier for us uh, when we can kind of just uh riff off some of the stuff you guys say um and ask about and are curious about because uh some uh, i think both of us think about things very similarly so it's always nice to have some outside uh, help from you guys so uh thanks for listening thanks for interacting this has been a lot of fun this has been much longer than maybe we wanted uh but that's fine that was frank madden i'm eric name today's episode of lockdown bucks has been brought to you by SeatGeek. again use the promo code l-o-b-u-c-k-s again that's l-o bucks for lockdown bucks uh to get a 20 dollars rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase so Go out and use that promo code, get some cool tickets, and that's going to be it for us for today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.